What does family mean to you? That is the question I hope we can all answer by the end of this week's episode. And this is Are You Ready with Joanne Molinaro. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You Ready with Joanne Molinaro. Last week, we talked with Dr. Robin Chutkin, a leading gastroenterologist and four-time author on the microbiome. Although I knew Dr. Chutkin would fill my plate with tons of info, I was a little surprised at how inspired I was by her passion for health and wellness. In particular, I was moved by the following answer she gave when I asked what it means to be well. It's definitely not just the absence of disease. It is how we feel mentally. It's our outlook. Do we feel optimistic? Do we feel happy? And I think a big part of it is, do we feel empowered? Do we feel like we have it within our control to influence what's going to happen to us? I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like too often we view health as interchangeable with the size of our waistband, how fast we can run a mile, or whether we're on any medication. What I love about Dr. Chutkin's definition of well is that it focuses not on the absence of bad things, but on the presence of good things, primarily agency. Now, Dr. Chutkin, she asks some pretty big questions in that answer. Do we feel optimistic? Do we feel happy? Do we feel empowered? Do we feel in control? So this week, I wanted to investigate one of the primary drivers of optimism, happiness, empowerment, and control, family. Sonyonga, Jason, get up, eat breakfast, my grandmother hollered from the kitchen. Harmony always woke up with the sun. I imagined she began her day by praying because Harmony liked to bookend her days with a brief, sometimes not so brief, chat with God. She would then saunter on down to the kitchen, her slippered feet whispering across the thick carpeting that lined practically every inch of our Skokie house, except the kitchen itself. That room was a page right out of a 1970s nightmare, complete with tacky linoleum tiles, dark wooden cabinets, and an orange ceiling light that basked the space in a sticky, lurid glow. Click, 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 the stovetop would greet her as she reached for the nonstick skillet that her daughter-in-law purchased at Venture earlier that summer. This was the best pan she'd ever used. The eggs never stuck. The tubu always flipped. The chun was always crispy. Click, 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 the stovetop repeated as she turned the dial to a second burner. She was never anything but amazed that she now lived in a home with a stovetop that had five, five burners. She placed a small pot on the stove filled with water and two sausages, or hot dogs as her granddaughter called them, then cracked an egg over the skillet, watching the edges bubble and grow opaque with a loud, satisfying sizzle. Sonyonga, get up, she bellowed once more. Her son was still finishing up his shift at the post office, and her daughter-in-law had already left for the hospital. She didn't approve of such a lopsided schedule. One parent working at night, the other during the day. The family was rarely together as one unit. But the kids were still young. The parents young, too. There was time enough for all that, she supposed, and she could hardly complain. 
They lived in a house where everyone had their own bedroom, a five-burner stovetop, and vents that breathed frigid air into each room during the hot summer nights of Chicago, a feat of engineering that she couldn't have imagined in her wildest dreams as a young mother in North Korea. She plated the fried egg, cooked hard, the only way that I would eat it, along with a hot dog. She then poured a tall glass of milk because no granddaughter of hers was going to suffer from calcium deficiency. She sucked in a breath, ready to call for me again when I tumbled into the kitchen like a half-inflated beach ball. Eat. Everything, Harmony said, biting off the words in a way that forestalled any argument. So this was a very typical morning for me when I was growing up. My parents were almost never home in the mornings, but Harmony, she was always around. She would make breakfast for me, braid my hair, then walk me to the bus stop, wave goodbye until I was too old and I told her, I don't need you here anymore. She would wave hello when I got back from school, walk me home from the bus stop. She would fix me a quick after-school snack, sometimes watch Sesame Street or the A-Team with me. She would teach me how to swing at the park, make fun of me for being terrified of cicadas. She would yell at me until I brushed my teeth. And then she would tuck me into bed and tell me all the stories about a fairy Halmoni, the two sisters and the tiger, or the boy who lived inside a big peach until I was fast asleep. My mom and dad were not around because they had to work. This is a very typical, I think, immigrant American story or perhaps just an American story. In Korean culture, the mother of either the mom or the dad, so the grandmother, often moves in with a family that has the oldest son. In this case, my father was the oldest son and Jason was his son, and therefore his mother came to live with us right after Jason was born. My harmony lived with me until I was 14 years old. I've talked a lot about my mom and dad and all the ups and downs I've had with them over the course of my life. I remain incredibly grateful for the kind of parenting that I had, but in looking back, I realize now so much what an enormous role of stability and anchoring both my grandmothers had in my very early childhood. And it's probably one of the reasons why even now, it's been over a decade since I lost my chinharmoni, the one that I'm talking about in this story. It's hard for me to talk about them without really feeling the jaggedness of that hole in my heart because I still miss them and I still feel their absence so rawly, if that makes sense, rawly, I'm not sure if that's a word. In any event, I wanted to share just that little peek into my childhood to demonstrate what informs my definition of family. The reason I'm even really talking about this, as I mentioned, I was inspired by Dr. Chutkin's definition of being well, but in the interim, I actually watched this really beautiful vlog or video blog, if you will, by an artist named Jackie Liu. Jackie Liu is a young person. I think she's a sophomore at Stanford University and just an unimaginably talented artist. I've been following her work for a few years now, and I recently had the pleasure of hosting her in my home for a few days 
And it was just remarkable how much she was able to teach me about remaining open-minded to ideas that I maybe found a little bit difficult to wrap my mind around as a Luddite (laughs) or as an older person. And it was just really great to talk to her. But she mentioned while she was staying with me that she was working on this project where she would meet with the people in her life that I think she considers to be her chosen family and then to ask them what they thought family meant. So in this YouTube video, I'm going to include a link to it in the show notes below. She asks all of these individuals the following provocative question. What does family mean to you? Now, as I watched each of Jackie's chosen family members piece together definitions of the F word, I inevitably struggled to come up with my own. I kept circling back to this idea of unconditional love, but that only led me to query whether something truly unconditional could ever exist. For instance, my ex-husband was at one point a family member, and yet my love for him was decidedly conditional, failing to outlast my favorite yellow Dutch oven. And although the most illegal thing I've ever done was to pirate a rental copy of Best of the Best from Blockbuster Video, and if you know what I'm talking about, then you know it was worth it, it was theoretically possible that I could do something so heinous and criminal that my own parents would disown me. Still, the idea of mostly unconditional love, I know that's pretty much an oxymoron, but you get my drift, and the safety provided by the most expansive boundaries of love and acceptance one could imagine, this, to me, was one of the defining qualities of family. But perhaps this is an incomplete definition, since not all of us are born into unconditional love and therefore may not inherit, at least not at first, all the benefits that flow from that sort of singular stability. I've actually done quite a bit of research now in preparation for this podcast episode because I I wanted to add sort of a studied understanding of what family means, what families even look like today as compared to what they look like many generations ago, how scientists are continuing to evolve the term family as the look and composition of families continues to evolve itself. According to one study, I thought it was interesting that the scientists concluded that to what degree a child experiences unconditional love, well, that can have a direct impact on the likelihood of developing, in some cases, significant mental illnesses. According to this 2015 study appearing in Europe's Journal of Psychology, a child bereft of unconditional positive regard, a term the study used to refer to a child being consistently prized regardless of one's behavior, as well as receiving constant affection and acceptance. Well, a child that didn't have those things was significantly more likely to develop agoraphobia, anxiety, depression, and neuroticism. In contrast, Individuals whose parents demonstrated support, affection, and responsiveness to their needs most of the time tend to be less sensitive to rejection and more inclined to see themselves as more competent and likable. 
while one cannot overstate the importance of unconditional love or regard, however you want to describe it, in a young person's development, it would also be myopic to suggest that every child receives the kind of, quote, support, affection, and responsiveness from their parents that best equips them for all the ups and downs that life throws at them. It thus begs the question, our parents, our biological parents, are they automatically included in the term family by virtue of their role in creating the child, regardless of their abysmal parenting skills? I can definitely empathize with those who would opt to define family exclusively by choice. The traditional definition of family, in my mind, is far too narrow and rigid, failing to make room for the kinds of families that thrive when choice is part of the formula. But when the definition of family turns exclusively on choice, the only family that I have are the ones that I decide are in it, well, at least according to this other study published by the MDPI, quote, something crucial is missed, both in terms of understanding and analyzing contemporary society. Many people believe themselves to be under weighty familial duties that do not result directly from their own choices, end quote. For instance, many young adults feel obligated to care for their senior parents, even if they don't have the best relationships with them, because they are, quote, family. Similarly, you may have recently attended the funeral services of that uncle you saw maybe four times in your life. Why? Because he's family. There are also, of course, legal implications that are definitely not elective. Child support, alimony, and insurance are just a few of the levers that courts can use to enforce an institutionalized definition of family. Irrespective of whether these values or laws comport with the idea of unconditional love, they are real and thus have real consequences. The authors of this MDPI study provide a potential alternative to defining family, one that I actually really like. Family scholars should be less interested in defining what a family is and more focused on what families do. More specifically, families must be enacted, displayed, and recognized. This approach to what a family does leads me directly to this week's Ask Joanne, in which Ann asks the following question. Do you believe that children must give their love to their parents unconditionally, even if lasting pain has been inflicted? My answer? No. There is no per se mandate, legal, social, or emotional, that requires you to engage with your parents. The concept, but their family, is also not dispositive, not in my book at least. As discussed above, we should be concerned far more with what families do in lieu of focusing exclusively on what a family is. In this way, individuals, particularly those who have been subjected to neglect, abuse, or even violence by their families, can free themselves from whatever social constructs or normative ideals that have placed them squarely within the crosshairs of adults who, quite frankly, have no business rearing future adults. In other words, on my hope is that one day you'll be in a position where you get to decide how much or how little you want to expose yourself to these people who created you. 
You get to decide just how much weight, if any, you want to grant the term biological parent. You get to decide whether the two people who were tasked with raising you irretrievably squandered that honor. Does that mean you shouldn't give unconditional love to your parents? Well, some of that depends on how you define unconditional love. Because here's the thing, there's always a cost. You may lose their financial support, which for some people might be significant, even if you never had their emotional support. You may realize that whatever small sliver of affection you received from them was extremely valuable to you. You know the saying, you don't know when you have until you lose it. But indisputably, the most costly consequence of your choice vis-a-vis your parents is opportunity. The choices you make today, they will have a direct impact upon the opportunities that await you in the future. You can choose to invest in your relationship with your parents, or you can choose to cut your losses and walk away. If you do the latter, you may be forever foreclosing on the kind of parent-child relationship you've always wanted. I didn't always have the best relationship with my parents. My mom once walked out on us, declaring she wasn't our mother anymore. My father kicked me out of the house at 13 because I refused to make instant ramen noodles for my little brother. I realize these are relatively minor infractions compared to cases of domestic violence or serious neglect, but I wouldn't put my parents up in the mom and dad hall of fame. Still, at no point in my life did I ever consider retracting my love for and subsequently my sense of obligation to my parents. Part of this I attribute to that seemingly innate craving for my mother's love a craving that at least one study likens to an opiate addiction. And perhaps it was that craving that led me to believe unquestioningly in the possibility that at some point I could forgive my parents and we could build something worthwhile together. Maybe not soon, but at some point. In the case of the instant Amian incident, it was later that night when my father started sobbing sorry. <laughs> but investments are tricky on. Just look at Bitcoin. Our vision is necessarily hampered by a lack of information, misinformation, and of course, confirmation bias. We want to believe what we want to believe. And that craving for maternal love, well, it can create a pretty formidable bias. But not all investments are as volatile as Bitcoin. Mutual funds are a solid bet, even if you invest a little bit here and there. Here's the thing on, you can still do things for your parents, pick up their groceries, help them fill their prescriptions, translate their bank statements, even if you don't love them unconditionally, so long as doing so doesn't cause more injury. Not because they're family, but because of your hope that they might one day tell you the story about the boy who lived inside a giant peach and thus earn a permanent seat at the table inside your heart. Thanks, An, for submitting your question. I wish you the very best for you and your parents. If you have a question on which you're seeking some advice, hit the link below and ask Joanne.
Just a reminder that I will be doing a live cooking demonstration and book signing this month, September 21st. It'll be at my alma mater, Urbana-Champaign, the University of Illinois. Make sure to pick up your tickets, link in the show notes below, and come say hello. And with that, we are on to this week's parting thoughts. Family often starts in our minds with a person who gave you life. Every couple days, Amma will send me a text complaining about the heat in Chicago and asking after Lulu, as if our little rescue dog is the granddaughter she'll never actually have, at least not from me. My father texts me too, a lot more than I would expect from a 79-year-old man. Earlier today, I received a message thanking me for sending him a chair. Amma followed that up with a photo of him in said chair. Yep, I've gotten to that point in my life where I now buy furniture for my parents. Last summer, my father helped me put together one of those swinging egg chairs that are really popular. We keep it in our backyard, and when my father visits, he often likes to sit in the chair in the evenings, listening to music and swinging lazily inside the cocoon he helped put together. I know that our parents comprise the family we didn't get to choose, and for many people, that hasn't always been a good thing. But for me, it has been a wonderful thing to see my parents moving inside a warbling purple dusk, moving towards each other, towards me, and sometimes outwards, but always moving in this one life, in this our love, in this our family. My whole harmony, she was always so proud of how many children she had, and then even more proud of how many children they had. I sometimes dream about her, looking down through the thick leaves of a persimmon tree, still counting to see how many seeds have sprouted. And sometimes I want to holler up at her, Harmony, they've grown so beautifully. Thanks everyone for joining me for another episode of Are You Ready with Joanne Molinaro. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and hit that subscribe button. Leave a comment and a rating below. Let me know who you want to hear from next. It would also mean so much to me if you shared this episode with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your loved ones, or anyone else you think might like to hear a little bit on family today. Otherwise, until next week, I hope you have a lovely and wonderful day.